Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and today we are celebrating the 200th episode of the Man Talk Show. Yep, we've had 200 episodes. It's absolutely incredible. I am so, 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 so ecstatic. And and even more than that, I am so thankful to each and every single one of you who have tuned into this podcast, who have contributed to guests, to questions, to the whole thing. And we're going to start a new segment uh, coming soon called Questions for Connor. And that's where you guys are going to get to write in, ask me any questions that you have about men, about women, about masculinity, about dating, about sex and intimacy, about... Oh, man, finances, fitness, like whatever you want to ask me, uh, you're going to be able to write in soon and uh, and fire off some questions because we have a lot of people that reach out through Instagram and Facebook and different social media channels. And so I wanted to give you guys access uh, to be able to, you know, get some get some answers straight from me because I don't always have the chance to respond back. I'm 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 better. I'm a faster speaker than I am a typer. And maybe that's not the case for everybody but I can definitely speak faster than I can type. So I'm going to use this medium. Uh, So today we are going to dive in to the 10 lessons from 200 episodes. And so I went back and I condensed some of what I thought were the major lessons that have come out in this podcast. And there's a few different pieces. So they're not all about masculinity, but I'm just going to dive in. So the first one is actually my biggest lesson in doing this podcast show. So I actually initially didn't want to run a podcast. I had never listened to a podcast before. I knew what they were, but I had never listened to a podcast. I had never like even considered downloading them. And so I didn't really know what to expect. But what I very quickly learned is that rule number one, asking questions is an art form. Asking questions is really something that we as people can work on and hone and cultivate. And there is so much power not only in the structure of a question, but our intent behind asking the question. And then secondly, the impact of the actual question itself. Because what most people forget is that asking a question is about eliciting a a response. And you can ask a question in a certain way when this is what most people will do is that they'll ask a question in a certain way that tries to get out the answer that they are personally looking for. And that's a very sort of closed type of question. It doesn't actually allow for the freedom of creativity, of innovation, of curiosity to really be present. So in the art form of asking question, what I've learned uh, over the past you know, 200 episodes of, of interviewing guests and, and really starting to become more effective at asking questions, not just on the podcast, but in my coaching practice, you know, when I work with groups of people, when I work with couples, I've really started to develop a, a, a sensitivity to how I ask questions. And so, you know, asking questions isn't just an art form in terms of how you ask it, but in terms of the openness in which you ask a question to really allow someone to respond with their own reality, with their own truth. And there is so much power in creating that space. So that's real, that's number one. Number two is mastering one domain doesn't necessarily mean that you can't dabble in them all. So after interviewing people like Preston Smiles and Lewis Howes and Gabby Bernstein and Mastin Kip and you know entrepreneurs from four, you know Fortune 500 companies and comedians and NASA engineers and just some of the most incredible cosmologists and psychiatrists and therapists 
who I've all had on the podcast, what I've realized is even though they are an expert and a leader in their field, even though they have mastered and honed their craft to such an intricate intricate degree that they might be the top 1% of 1% in the world in their field, even though they have that type of specificity in their specific area, doesn't mean that they don't dabble in a ton of other fields. And so a lot of these, a lot of these individuals, they have their focus, but they have this broad array of creative endeavors and hobbies and activities that they like to get into. So even when I look at myself, even though I have a very specific field, you know, I do things like yoga and I love motorcycles and F1 racing and I dabble in creative writing and poetry and boxing. And there's just there's so many things that I love to learn about. I love learning about cosmology and the way the universe works and spirituality. And so the main lesson behind this one is that, yes, absolutely hone your craft, hone your skills, find that area, find that niche or in the States, your niche, uh, that you really want to work on, that you really want to become world-class at. But don't don't drop everything else just to do that one thing because those other parts will add and contribute to your laser-like focus. And they might also offer you a perspective that you hadn't even thought of. So keep your keep your eyes open. So number three is resiliency and discipline which are two things that a lot of us want to cultivate, and success actually demand compassion and empathy. And this was something that, that I heard time and time again as I interviewed researchers and you know highly successful people, and we started talking about emotional intelligence. What is it that made people resilient? What has allowed them to have an incredible amount of discipline in their life where they were really honed in on proper routines and regiments and, uh, and, and, and daily habits? What actually allowed them to do that? And every single time, every single person said the same thing, compassion and empathy, compassion and empathy. Have compassion towards yourself, have compassion to other people, have empathy towards yourself and other people. And when you can do that, it doesn't mean that you let yourself off the hook. It doesn't mean that you allow yourself to slide in your habits and your routines. It simply means that you find a form of forgiveness for yourself for failing, for you know, missing the mark, and you actually allow yourself to move forward. You don't bog yourself down in the constant shame and the guilt and the sort of like self-loathing that we normally have when we fail on one of our routines. So that's the third part is don't forget compassion and empathy. Uh, the fourth lesson from the 200 episodes is that everyone, and I mean everyone, suffers and sabotages. And I really want you to hear this. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your family looks like. I don't care what business or profession you're in um, or how much self-help development work that you've done or therapy you've been to. Everyone suffers and sabotages. And and the reality is, is that to think otherwise, to think that that there are some people out there that never experience suffering in life, or never sabotage themselves, or never experience doubt or insecurities or questioning is actually a form of suffering because it creates a separation. It's the illusion that there is some perfect being out there that never experiences those things. 
And it's not that there's some perfect being out there that's never experienced those things. It's that there are people who have lived their lives in such a way that they have chosen to feel the suffering fully, to experience the sabotage in, in its complete and whole wholeness so that they can understand it. So they not only understand it, but they can understand what that suffering is trying to say. They can understand what that sadness, what that anger, what that frustration, what that guilt, what that shame is actually trying to communicate and they can start to move through it and they can start to have a relationship with that pain and that that is one of the biggest keys to success that we can hope to have in life. Number five, masculinity. Masculinity is more than a gender. Now, this is a big one, and I could probably do a whole episode on this one, but you know, I don't really have time for that. Um, but what I will say is that I hope in this podcast, by listening to some of the episodes uh, like the ones that I've done with Robert Masters and Dr. Robert Glover and uh, Dr. Warren Farrell, where we've talked about masculinity and boyhood and we've talked about fatherhood and some of these different pieces. I hope that it's become very apparent that masculinity is so much bigger than just some arbitrary stereotypes about what it means to be a man and that there are in important ingredients and that as a man, yes, we have to protect. Yes, there's opportunities for us to provide. Yes, we can step into a space of being masculine by providing order and structure, not only in our internal landscape and environment, but in the environment of our family, but in the environment of our finances and in our health and in the environment of our business and our profession. And when we can bring that calm, grounded sense of order and structure to all areas of our life, we start to really feel that masculine energy and essence moving through us. And it is more than a gender. And it is more than something that's just, you know, a definition in, in the good book of the dictionary, right? So um, I hope that your definition of masculinity has expanded outwards and, and has really been, really been liberated in a way. You know, I think that that's one of the biggest pieces that we, that we miss out on is that there is liberation, there is freedom, which the masculine is always seeking. There is freedom in, in providing this order and this structure in your life. And in order to do that, um, it requires vulnerability. And it requires us to look at the hard truths of our lives. And, and that is really the masculine. Is to provide order, you have to look at the really tough things that are causing chaos in your life. Uh, and then you have to do something about them. So, boom, that's that one. Uh, number six, healing ourselves as men is a form of healing the world. Same vein, a lot of the challenges, there's a great quote um, by a guy named Friedrich Douglass, who was one of the uh, first African-American philosophers in the United States in the 19th century. And he says, it's easier to raise strong children than it is to fix broken men. And I agree, it is easier and it is our responsibility to raise strong children. And the fact is, is that there's a lot of hurting men out there. There's a lot of men that are suffering, that feel alone, that are disconnected from purpose, that are disconnected from intimacy with themselves, with their, with their partners, from their families. And, and we have a responsibility. You know, I, I put out a post in an email the other day and I said, heal the father, heal the family. 
You don't have to be a father to start healing yourself. You, like, you don't even have to be a man to start healing yourself. You can be a woman. You can be wh- how, whatever gender you identify as. Healing yourself is a form of healing the world. And that might sound very altruistic. And every, pretty much every single philosopher along the way, Kant, uh, you know, whoever you want to look at, they have said the same thing is that in, in our endeavors to want to try and heal the world, want to try and make this place a, a better place than, than where we found it, we need to start with ourselves first and foremost. And as men, we especially have that responsibility. And even more, especially right now during this time, we are being called very, very greatly uh, to heal ourselves in order to help create equality and another space in the world. So focus on yourself first and foremost. Uh, Number seven, change your inner world and the outer changes as a result. This is just one that I have seen time and time again throughout all the interviews in working with clients. They'll inevitably come, you know, to make more money or, or have a better relationship or, Uh, you know, get their business in order or to find a sense of purpose. And each and every single time, the work starts internally. The work starts with uh, self-perception. The work starts with understanding our inner critic and how we sabotage ourselves and, and how we don't think that we're good enough and getting into the lack and the scarcity and the fear and the trauma that is happening in our inner world. And when we can start to heal that, our outer world has to change. It cannot stay the same. It's like if you change the ingredients on the inside of a cake, the outside will naturally bake differently. And that is exactly what we do in our life. We need to change the internal ingredients in order for the outside to actually look different. Because when we change the internal ingredients, the outside cannot cannot stay the same. Your environment can't stay the same. The people around you can't stay the same. It will all naturally change and almost always for the better. So that's number seven. Number eight, love the game more than you love to hate the haters. (laughs) Now, I know this one might sound strange, but I get asked all the time, Connor, what do you do with the haters? What do you do about the haters? Because there's inevitably haters. And I always say, love the game more than you hate, more than you love to hate the haters. Because the, the reality is, is that no matter what profession you're in, no matter what you know, type of relationship you're in or what kind of business you run or what type of products you sell or what industry you're in, there's going to be haters. There's going to be people who disagree with you. There's going to be people who fundamentally just loathe you and hate what you're doing and dislike what you stand for. And that's that's going to be the reality of the situation that you're in. Far too many people get caught up in the game of trying to make those haters into fans of getting caught up in the game of trying to be right with those haters, of trying to prove those haters that they're wrong, of trying to win them over. And they spend so much effort and energy and time on the haters that they forget about the game that they're actually playing. And and the game isn't just about success. The game is about you being the best individual you can possibly be in every way, shape, or form. The game is about aligning your mindset with your heart set, with your soul set, with your gut and your intuition. And when you do that, you are winning the game. But most people get lost in this, in this need to have validation from other people. So don't get lost in that game. Don't play that game. Just, you know, send some love to the haters. They'll still be there in a year or two years. They'll still be there. Trust me. Uh, number nine, stop avoiding order. As you can, as you've seen in the previous ones, this is a pretty important one. So 
I have seen a lot of men suffer financially, suffer in intimacy, suffer not having the type of sex that they want, not having the type of relationship that they want, not having the type of marriage or business or profession that they want uh, or bank account that they want, all because they're avoiding order. Order allows you to do a few things. It allows you to create a structure around where you would like to aim at. And it allows you and sort of calls you, forces you to look at the things that are in chaos, that aren't in order at all. And it allows you to create a bit of an action plan to move towards a more orderly environment. So that's number nine. And number 10, the final lesson, the final lesson out of all of this is, is so simple. And it's, it's really, it's just choose who you do life with carefully. Choose who you do life with carefully. And the reason why this is the last one is because one of the things that, that surprised me in all the interviews that I did, and even in the Harvard research that got done, uh, that, you know, Harvard did a 75-year study talking about um, or looking into the number one predictive factor of our happiness in life. And over the 75 years, they, felt they followed a few thousand men, specifically guys, over 75 years and tracked their levels of happiness, tracked their levels of life satisfaction, of connection to purpose, of connection to uh, intimacy, like really all, all areas of life, their health, the whole thing. And the, the biggest predicting factor of longevity and depth of satisfaction, which is really key, like that's really what we're aiming for, right, is like being deeply satisfied in life and, and being able to sort of drink in the richness of, of the life that we've created. Um, but what they found was the number one predictive factor was uh, who you spent your time with and how, how close those relationships were. So the depth of your relationships is incredibly important. And, and it's not only who you spend your time with, but it's how you spend your time with them and why you're spending your time with them. And so looking at the people that are in your life, are they adding to you and are you adding to them? This is really key. Not enough people have reciprocal relationships. And a reciprocal relationship means that you and your friend or you and your partner should have the type of relationship that is mutually beneficial. And it should not be just mutually beneficial in one area of your life, but it should allow you to feel like you are expanding in all ways. And that type of friendship, that type of relationship, whether it's in your intimate relationship or just a friendship, it requires work. And it requires you to put in real work. It requires vulnerability. It requires authenticity. It requires a little bit of, a, of not embarrassment, but like a little bit of that like cringy feeling, you know, like that feeling where you're just like, I know that this conversation is going to be good for our relationship, but I, I feel awkward having it. You know, that's the type of depth that so many people are looking for. You can go and talk about surface level garbage with anybody in the world. There are like 7.3 billion people out there that will have a surface level conversation with you. But to cultivate a group of people who are willing to have the conversations about anything, the conversations about the secrets of their life that they normally wouldn't talk about and to have those types of conversations with people is just, it's it's a richness, it's a joy, and it's a connective tissue that I think few people experience and everyone is craving. 
And so when you remember that everyone is actually craving that, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's challenging, even though it's confronting, you can be the cause that leans in and creates those relationships with your family, with your partner, with your friends, with your coworkers. You can be the catalyst that causes those conversations. So be a conversation catalyst, be the starter of those conversations. So those are my 10 lessons from the 200 episodes. I know this is a little bit of a longer mini episode, but I wanted to say thank you to each and every single one of you. Please man it forward. Share this podcast with somebody. Invite them in. Thank you to everybody that has been doing that. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review and uh, subscribe whatever channel you're listening to, whether it's Stitcher or YouTube or iTunes. Uh, And until next week, here's to another 200 episodes. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Connor Beaton signing off.